Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Julian Scott, and Julian is here to talk about how the media covers uh, the demonstrations that happened this summer and what's been going on now. So, how are you, Julian? We haven't spoken in a while. I'm great. I'm great. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today, and I'm very glad that you're safe and well. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, it's difficult. I'm used to being out and talking to people and maybe going for a cup of coffee and stuff like that. So it's right. difficult to isolate myself as much as I possibly can. So... I you think know, uh, I, a lot of Americans will agree with you there, but uh, I know a lot of people throughout the Albany Capital Region will say that they uh, appreciate that you continue to do this podcast despite uh, the, the growing threat of, of COVID-19, so thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I watched the Black Lives Matter uh, stuff in the summertime with the demonstrations, and I've been watching the stuff lately, the demonstrations and Washington, D.C. So you think right. there's a big difference in the way the media covers it, right? Well, I think that, you know, there there are narratives being continuously delivered to uh, Americans throughout the world, or I'm sorry, throughout the country, uh, which basically ask people to choose a side. Now, I don't necessarily believe that one side is, is better than the other. I think that, you know, it's it's much more complex than a neat little package of look at this group who's rioting versus look at this group who are patriots. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I, when I watched the events on January 6th, it was frightening to see so many people just storm yeah. the Capitol. What was your reaction? Well, you know, it, it was frightening. Absolutely. It's, it's, more, um, it's more of a statement on where we are today as a society uh, that I think than anything else. Um, you know, I'm sure that if you were in that building and you had what seemed to be a, a mob coming in with, with weapons, you were petrified and, and rightly so. If you were part of that group, um, you know, they think that they were in the right. And that they're there, they are there to deliver a message um, that, you know, they believe at least resonates with the majority of Americans. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's sad. It's sad for those who went to that house looking for change, looking for trouble. And it's sad for those who uh, were there as well. So at the end of the day, nobody's, nobody's winning in this except for those who, you know, are kind of controlling the narrative. And then that would be the, the media and a few talking heads as well as a few politicians. How, how do you think that the uh, media is covering the two events, the events of the summer with Black Lives Matter and now with this, uh, the Trump supporters storming the Capitol? Yeah, I mean, so let's, let's kind of take a step back and think about it from, you know, an origins perspective and, and how we have come to where we are today. And I, I'm not saying that this particular point of view is the absolute answer, but I think that it, it's supported with evidence. And I think if your audience, you know, listens closely to the evidence, they'll, they'll come away with a lot of agreement. You know, let's step back to 2008. You have, 
a young politician who is extremely popular uh, running for office or running for presidential, the presidential office, and he promised you know, America the absolute world. And I voted for Barack Obama twice. I am a proud supporter of his and believe he was a phenomenal president. Um, but if you take a look at what he was successful at and what he wasn't successful at, he wasn't successful at being able to drive progress to middle America, to those along the Rust Belt, and to those who traditionally you know, built their families off of manufacturing and, and things of this nature. And that makes sense. You know, the, the type of economy he inherited, he had to uh, focus the majority of his efforts on stimulating the economies or the verticals that are responsible for the, the significant you know, portion of our economy. So this is big business and corporations. So he did what he had to do. For a large part, he was successful in terms of you know, driving down the unemployment rate, producing more jobs, getting the economy back and running. But again, there's a whole margin of people who were kind of left out or didn't see the America that was promised over the course of eight years. So you come to now 2016. 2016 comes and we have the rise of the Tea Party. We have the emergence, at least from a, a media perspective, of Black Lives Matter. And we have multiple candidates that are very different than any other candidate in history, right? We have Trump, who is this outlier, who is seen as predominant and effective because of his you know, supposed business acumen. But, but even more so, you have Trump rising to the power that he did or to the position that he did because there wasn't a Republican voice who spoke on behalf of those in Flint, Michigan. There wasn't a Republican voice who spoke on behalf of the middle class and of the you know, blue-collar workers. So Trump got mm -hmm. you know, their support. On the opposite side, you have a traditionalist, which is Hillary Clinton, and you have a progressive, which is Bernie Sanders. And mm -hmm. we all know, and this isn't conjecture, you know, we know that the Democratic National Party did, you know, maneuver the election in such a way, especially with the superdelegates, that Hillary won, despite the fact that Bernie, you know, a lot of signals that showed that Bernie really was a legitimate winner there. So you have a lot of different people on the opposite side, now on the uh, left side, who feel disenfranchised because their votes clearly didn't matter, right? So four years later, what do you have now? You have multiple groups who feel that their votes don't matter, there isn't somebody there to speak on their behalf, and there isn't somebody there to help them get to the next level in life. So you have anger. And it's where this, you know, this, your, your question about what is the media's effect? Well, the media has had more effect on us than ever before in our history, where even though we're all angry for the same reasons, we all feel cheated, we all feel disenfranchised, where we are polarized with this narrative that's produced by the media to make it seem like we're two different groups, and again, one is good and one is bad, when really neither one of us is better than the other, and we all have the same problems, we all have the same angers, we all have the same complaints, and we all have the same goals, despite what the media would tell us. You know, I've been interested in this student loan debt crisis for a number of years, and, you know, Biden talks about forgiveness of $10,000 a person. Well, somebody who went to law school or medical school or incurred large debt, $10,000 is just a drop in the bucket. It might be a little helpful, but it's not going to solve the problem. If it doesn't solve the problem, the problem, but what we're going through right now will only intensify. Would you agree? I agree. And one of the interesting that, that, you know, 
things that research has unveiled is that conservatives are conservative and liberals are liberal because of their temperaments, right? So it's partially biological. So for example, conservatives tend to be more industrial and orderly. So what that means roughly is, you know, conservatives tend to be a bit more naturally suitable for management and administration. Now, liberals are higher in openness, which refers to both interests and ideas. And, and one of the consequences of this is that liberals tend to be better entrepreneurs and artists so that our society is basically set up. And this is something that people really need to think about. Conservatives need liberals to create new companies and generate new ideas, while liberals need the conservatives to implement and run the company. Now, you can be you know, temperamentally conservative or liberal, but, but what you have to do is, is that you need to listen to the other side because they have something to tell you and they can show you how to hold things together and stabilize things, right? So to the question of student debt, or really any of the, the major social issues that we're discussing uh, today, you know, whether it's so, you know, debt forgiveness or healthcare, whatever the case may be, is, is one solution you know, absolute and perfect? A absolutely not. But again, going to the point of this, we've been so polarized or led to believe that the other side's messages are so radical and dangerous that we're not having a conversation about what is the right solutions that benefit us all. And that's the problem that we're having today fundamentally. Okay. So do you do you see the with the new administration um coming into being this week, do you see any major major changes? Do you see less animosity and hostility and violence? And do you think the media plays places up because of ratings? Well, yes, I, I think, you know, to answer the, the second part of your question first, I, I do think that, you know, there there is a convenient situation that's taking place for the, the media uh, during this pandemic, which is that people are largely forced to stay inside and stare at screens. So so there's never been a, a tighter engagement or, or more engaged populace than, than there is now. And when you continuously show that populace who is told they, they can't go out of their homes, they can't visit their families, they can't worship, so on and so forth, when you constantly show them, you know, recurring images of violence and negativity, they're naturally going to absorb that, that, that negativity as well. And then they're going to react to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely do think that, you know, when, when it comes to President Biden and what he is inheriting and when it comes to the type of change he can make, I think that President Biden is sincere. And I, I, I voted for him. I think he's a genuine person. I think he was the right person to kind of, you know, at least put the country's animosity on pause. But I, I don't know what type of progress we're going to make because it's our own selves who are getting in our way, right, when it comes to the concept of should President Trump be impeached. Now, your question is, can America move on? Well, American can move on if we as a country, you know, hold our media accountable so that they're not constantly, you know, focusing on President Trump long after he's no longer in office and no longer effective. If we continue to hold him up on this platform and use him as the, the symbol of all evil in the world, then, yeah, we're never going to get past this conversation. The, the concept of Trump supporters, quote, Trump supporters, versus everybody else is only going to continue to, um, you know, be discussed and it's only going to continue to make tensions worse. So if we want to move on, it's not really in Biden's hands. It's in our hands and we have to hold the people who are talking much more accountable for the subjects that they're focusing on. So 
how do you feel about the media coverage the uh, both presidential candidates got? Well, I think. I think I think you're leading me into a, a trap with your audience. I don't want anybody to uh, no, <laughs> attack my home or anything that. like that. No, no, I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, I think that it was different. I think that there was uh, a tremendous amount of um, you know dialogue around Trump's brash behaviors, which we've already known for the last four years. I think there was a lot, a lot of dialogue around um, you know racism and attaching the concept of racism to him. Uh, the, you know, when the reality is that, you know, Trump did not, dis- whether you like him or not, Trump did not inspire all this anger. Okay, that anger was there, and it's the anger that allowed Trump to, to rise to the position that, that he is in. Okay, so that's a fact. Mm-hmm. I think Biden was able to, you know, skirt away from the responsibilities that most people in his position have to, have to you know, own, such as actually campaigning, right? He got away without really having to campaign or, or visit multiple states or visit with constituents. Right. So, right. you know, yes, there, there was definitely a difference in the media coverage. And, and at the end of the day, we were not talking about, you know, Biden versus Trump. We were talking about Trump versus anybody else. Um, the, the whole concept of what's going on, what's going to happen is pretty scary. Um, In the summertime, with the Black Lives Matter and now with the Trump supporters, how do you think the media has covered both both situations? Well, the media. I mean, and again, this isn't you know my biased opinion. It it just it's facts here. Okay, so the media, and I'm not saying I'm not questioning the legitimacy of either faction or any political group. But the media has certainly positioned um, a handful of people who support Trump as crazy, radical, and, and let's go even further, you know, you know redneck, uh, uneducated idiots, right? Deplorables. That, I think that was the buzzword that was used four years ago. Right. Right. On the other side, you, ha- you, you have angry minorities who don't understand history and are destroying you know, our property and hate America. And, and that's not true either. So... You know, both positions are definitely, you know, radicalized, for lack of a better term, or or polarized and positioned as, you know, in a very convenient way. If you're conservative and you live among a middle America and you're shown, you know, urban, you know, in urban environments where small businesses are on fire, you're definitely going to be afraid. But on the opposite, if you are somebody who believes that white supremacy is continuously growing and, you know, there's a bunch of people with rifles who are going to storm the Capitol and this is what you see on TV, then you definitely think that the 5,000 people who went to, you know, Washington, D.C. on that day is equivalent to the 74 million people who voted for Trump. And that's just not the case. Okay. So what do you see as the solution? Well, the solution is for, you know, more good people like yourself to continue to have a dialogue and a discourse with people on the opposite side. At the end of the day, you know, I truly, truly firmly believe that whether you are part of the Black Lives Matter group or you are a quote unquote Trump supporter, as ambiguous as that is, America as a whole and America's middle class and its disenfranchised feel more left out than ever before. That's a fundamental problem. We need somebody who can speak to both groups and and speak to their frustrations 
and show how you know two brains are always better than one and working together is the only way that we're going to get through this in, in a much more positive and productive way. It's the only way that both sides are going to get what they want. Um, when it comes to our media, you know, we have laws in place that, that kind of legislate what, what the media can and cannot do. And as liberal as they are, I'm not saying that we need to introduce more legislation to, you know, manage or censor speech. But, but we have to get out of this, this, this framework that we've built ourselves in, which is we speak about narratives and opinions. And we take a, a singular niche aspect of a really complex subject and we splice it down so that it's very easy to ingest and easy to understand. But, but that's just dumbed down and that's diluted the whole problem. So now we don't really understand the problem and, and it's not as easy as we think it is. So we need to have a much more rigorous discussion about the problems that we're facing and, and understand the history of it and, and the real sources of it and how we can overcome it, not necessarily through you know, demonstrations, uh, but through legislation and, and through, through movements, through actions. Um, if you, when it comes to, go ahead. If you, no, no, go ahead. If you, if you watch cable TV, you have MSNBC and CNN on one side. You have Fox News on the other, and they're they're not independent thinkers. They right. are. They're not reporting news. They're giving opinions. And I think that's part of the problem of, of right. how we got into this mess. And people are so used to now turning on Fox and turning on NBC, uh, MSNBC, and having their their thoughts and their beliefs reinforced. That's got to stop, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. But 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 here's the problem, right? Here's the source of it. When we talk about polarization. The, the alternative is for people to learn about their civilization, to incorporate, you know, its pop, proper doctrines and their behavior and to live life properly and carefully, like be awake and, and to speak properly and carefully. And I, and I believe if enough people do that, then we'll be able to avoid the polarizations that, you know, the inevitable consequence, because the problem is that people who are characterologically weak, and I don't mean that in a judgmental sense, weak in that they can't withstand the, the onslaught of life and they get hurt because of it. You know, they turn to nihilism and they turn to ideology. And when they do those things, they polarize depending on their character, whether they fall on the right or the left. You know, and there's very little effort to learn the rules of each extreme, which is why they're so exciting to become a part of, right? It's easy to become extreme so people become polarized and they latch onto something they hate and, and, and that's that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's our responsibility as individuals to not get caught up in the narratives that are convenient to us it's our responsibility as individuals to understand that when, you know, social media companies like Facebook show you content, they're showing you other content that's similar based on what you already liked and engaged with, not something that's different and new for your perspective to consider. So there's a lot of different things that, you know, we have to take responsibility for, but we also need to hold our, our politicians and our legislators more accountable for. You're saying something that I believe you're correct. But a lot of people are so complacent, they can't see beyond their own frame of mind and even consider what you're saying. What do you do? What do you do? Uh, how do you change the mind? Of I am multiple things, but first and foremost, I am a parent. And I think that when you speak to most parents, they understand that they are role models responsible for shaping the life of an individual, right, from birth. 
And that responsibility is strong. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what's going on. If our children do something that's inappropriate or, or you know, misbehave, we always remind them to treat others the way that we want to be treated, right? Empathy and sympathy is such a huge portion of what goes into parenting. So when you say, like, what can we do? We, we have to get out of uh, this, this position that we put ourselves in, which is we are pawns speaking on behalf of other people who want us to deliver their message, okay? And, I, and I'll put this in a different light, going back to Trump supporters versus Black Lives Matter. They have, you know, they don't really see much of themselves in each other, but the election has revealed they have more in common than anyone thinks. And, and throughout this presidential campaign, I kept hearing about how some Trump supporters were so angry, right? At one point, there was this woman who stood up at a Mike Pence rally and declared that she and others she knew were ready for, quote, revolution if Trump wasn't elected president. And this woman was so mm-hmm. mad, right? She, fed up, she was so fed up with the state of her country that she was ready for civil war. Now, at that time, I, I have to admit that her anger didn't you know, make much sense to me at first until I saw another Trump supporter you know, recently sum it up in a, in a nicely you know, neat Facebook post. And I'll, I'll just quote them. This is the thing. When people are pushed into a corner with nothing left to lose, you've created a dangerous situation. And that is exactly where more, many common sense conservatives and center-right citizens find themselves. Trump supporters are just mad as hell. Trump didn't create the anger. The anger created Trump. Now, this person and others went on to explain that they were tired of being left behind, pushed aside, and ignored. They argued that government systems are corrupt, rigged, and need to be overhauled. There is no sense of justice, they said, because the privileged and powerful, and they're referring to Hillary Clinton, few get away with unlawful acts with the average citizen where, or where the average citizen could not. And they're frustrated because the kinds of jobs they used to have no longer exist, and the opportunities are fewer. And most of all, they resented the labels being placed on them by those who you know, didn't agree with their world of view. So when I read this, it, it makes perfect sense. You know, I, I understood the anger of the woman at the Pence rally completely. In fact, I, I personally know intimately. I've heard it expressed many times before. You've heard it expressed many times before in the anguished voices of, you know, Angela Leisure and, and Tracy Martin. I've heard that same anger chance of no justice, no peace by Black Lives Matter protesters in downtown Albany. And I've seen that same anger and frustration in the tears of family members and friends as someone who originally grew up in the projects of Albany and Troy, New York. I know firsthand what it feels like to live in an environment that never provides any give or any hope. But just like some Trump supporters, people in the Black Lives Matter movement don't like where our country's headed. They share the belief that government systems are corrupt and rigged, particularly a criminal justice system that disproportionately locks up black men. They, too, mm-hmm. are tired of being ignored and pushed to the side, and many black people feel that privileged whites get breaks and opportunities not afforded to the, to the rest. They're frustrated by the lack of jobs, opportunity, and high unemployment, and, and they resent the labels, just as you know, the other side does, that they're thugs or race baiter, baiters or troublemakers, you know, labels that are often attached to them by, again, those who don't share their view. So, yes, there are some Black Lives Matter supporters who are so mad and so fed up, who feel so backed into a corner that, you know, revolution seems like the only choice left. But just like Trump is not a reaction to, I'm sorry, you know, he is not the ownership of, of anger, or the creative anger. Anger led him to the promise that he received. Black Lives Matter didn't create the anger. The anger created that organization. So, so those who support, you know, either organization might be fighting for different things, but the reasons why they fight, sometimes ferociously, are, are absolutely the same. And that's what we have to understand. We are not different from each other. 
there's a lack of respect that's going around this country. There's a very short supply of respect. And if we can introduce respect to our individual peers and recognize them as what they are, our neighbors, instead of our enemies, we can start to get back to a place where we're on the same team holding the media and our politicians accountable. Because right now they're playing us like pawns. During the uh, election of 2020, you know, everybody was focused either on Trump or Biden. But there was another, uh, something else in the race. Or I'm sorry, there was somebody else in the race. And that person was Howie Hawkins, who ran for president on the Green Party line. Howie articulated issues really, really well. But the media did not want to cover him, did not want to tell people what he was talking about. So he was basically ignored. And a lot of people who might have voted for him didn't because they didn't know what his platform is. I think the media is responsible, definitely responsible for... The problems we have today. Well, they're they're a, a significant gatekeeper when it comes to what information is distributed and what's not. And I don't have any problems with with you know the Albany Times Union or any other publication. But as a former journalist, you know I've sat there with my editor, watching which stories uh, are are told and which ones are not. And those that are told, I've I've of course been there to describe how they're told, right? There's a particular perspective we want the audience to have versus necessarily what just happened. It's not as interesting if we just talk about what happens, right? So yeah, to your point, you know, we we have this every four years. There's some interesting third party candidate who tends to be hip to a number of progressive ideas that mainstream America really appreciates, but they never get the coverage that they deserve, whether it was with Hawkins or, you know, Ralph Nader, right, back in 2000. Um, right. The, the reality is all of this, it's a give and take. We have a give and take relationship with our, our congressman, with our representative, and, and we have a give and take relationship with the media. And, and just because we don't vote for who is a journalist or what networks exist, we very much still have a voice in what they do and how they behave. So at the end of the day, it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility, Cynthia. It's your responsibility. It's the responsibility of the people to shape the country in the way that they want. It, we are not martyrs, and we are not victims, and we're not enemies. We have much more commonality than ever before. We need to work mm-hmm. together to shape the future that we believe we deserve and not let it be dictated to us. Wow. That, that's a pretty powerful statement. So, Julian, our time is up. You know, I'd like to uh, do more shows with you as the Biden administration evolves. Would you Would you be interested? Absolutely. I love my time with you. I appreciate it, and I think that there's uh, some great dialogue or great dialogue left to be to be had between us. So, thank you very much for this opportunity. I look forward to more. Okay, you've been listening to Julian Scott. This is Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. If you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks, Julian. We'll talk again. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Great day. Bye.